Great to see you today. We're going through the book of Philippians, and in the book of Philippians, it's written by Paul, and the theme of the book is joy, enjoying life. He uses that word 17 times throughout the scriptures, talking about how to have a happy life, how to enjoy life, how to get the most out of your life. A lot of times life is endured. It's not enjoyed, but it's not God's will for it to just be endured, because Why would God put a whole book of the Bible about enjoying life if that wasn't important to God? God wants us to enjoy life now, not just thinking about eternity. In Philippians verse 4, Paul says this, May you always be joyful in your life in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. That's the second time he says something like this. Always be joyful. I say it again. So he's emphasizing it over and over. Enjoy life. Enjoy life. Make the most. Have fun. Have a good time. Now, during the holidays, it's really a time that's easy to be stressed out. Because finances, you're spending more finances than maybe you should. That can cause stress. You're still working full time, but then you go into this party and that party. Maybe you're not getting the sleep that you would normally have. I mean, the holidays can really be more stressful than fun. Sometimes they're fun, but stressful. Have you ever been out and having a lot of fun, or you've gone on vacation and you've had a lot of fun on the vacation, but when you get home, you you need a lot of rest? Because the vacation didn't give you rest. It just got you excitement. But that can create stress. A lot of people have their worst depression after a great event. I think one of the reasons is you're just worn out from the great fun event. So the holidays, as good as they are, they tend to be the time that you have more stress than any other time. I think it's a perfect time to talk about reducing stress so I can enjoy life. And that's what he talks about in chapter 4, how to reduce stress. We're going to look at four stress relievers that Paul talks about in this passage. Number one in your notes, he says, worry about nothing. What? He words it, do not be anxious about anything. You notice that I'll take the same verse and sometimes I'll use different Bible translations because when you're taking something from one language and you're translating it to another language, it's hard to get the exact meaning. But if you use multiple sources, like if I had, if I was talking to somebody and I talked to three different people that spoke the other language and had them tell me what it meant in English, they'd probably use different words to explain it. But after all three of them told me, and I heard it from all three, I bet you I have a better, more clear understanding of it than if just one person told me. Because people say it in a different way, and you say, oh, I get a better idea of what they mean now. That's why I do this sometimes. In the Amplified Bible, the translators put it like this, do not fret or have any anxiety. The King James Bible said, be careful for nothing. Worry about nothing. Have no anxiety. I know that worry is a killjoy. I know it's a source of stress. But how can you possibly not worry about anything? And how can God make that a command? Well, there's only one way he can make it a command. It's because we have the ability not to worry. If I had no ability on how to handle that, how can you command something that I can't control? How can I control my worry? Well, the fact that he says this means apparently we can control our worry. Apparently, we have the ability not to be anxious. 
I think sometimes we expect the worst in life. And we're in an age of anxiety. We're in an age where there's so many things in the world that we could be worried about. We're in an age where we have our personal things in life that can stress us out. When you put them both together, that's a lot of things to worry about. You know, we can worry about what's going to happen in North Korea. There's so many things that we can worry about. What is worry? If you want to fill in the definition, worry is assuming a responsibility that God never intended for me to have. You're assuming a responsibility that God never intended you to have. There are some things that you can do something about, so you don't worry about that. But there are some things that you can't do anything about it. So you have to give it to God. I am trying to thank God if I'm worrying about something that I can't do anything about. Walter Colvert, he did a study on worry, and he said 40% of the things that we worry about are things that never happen. So we're worrying about something that we have no control over. He said 30% of the things that we worry about are things that are even past, like it's already over. Why would we worry about something that's already in the past? We just got to let that go and go on. He said 12% of the worries are things about our health that are needless to worry about. Like there's things that we worry about then we find out later that it was nothing. Maybe we're worried about a pain that I feel and we get all worried about it when there was nothing to be worried about. There was actually no harm there. It was just something natural that you, you just felt a little pain. It might have been gas. could have been anything. 10% of the worries that we have are insignificant, petty things anyway. They're not big enough to worry about, and yet we'll worry about it. And he said only 8% of the things that people worry about would really be legitimate concerns. That means I would spend 92% of all my worries about things that doesn't matter. Only 8%. So less than 10%, less than 1 out of 10 times would I worry about something that I really should worry about. Can you imagine how much time and energy we waste worrying about things that are never going to happen? And we know that worry and stress and anxiety, it makes us sick. If you have a lot of stress at work, it brings your health down. If you have a lot of worry, a lot of anxiety, it brings you down. We know these type of things, and yet in our minds, we have the ability to feel that little ache or pain and start getting stressed out about it and start in our minds thinking it's way worse than it is and not being able to sleep at night because we're worried about what the doctor is going to say tomorrow. When there's a 92% chance that it's nothing. I would rather put my attention on the 92% that says you're okay over the 8% that says maybe this is something to worry about. I want to think positively and say, look at the bright side. And enjoy life that I'm living until I know for sure. Instead of ruining the life I'm in right now until I know for sure. Ruining it because I'm so stressed out about what's going to happen. Am I going to be okay? Are things going to work out? And this is why I believe he says, do not worry about anything. I do believe it's one of the hardest commands to obey. Don't worry about anything. That's pretty difficult to do, I would think. I do believe it's one of the hardest commands to obey. But I believe he's saying this because when we do worry, it's usually over nothing. It's things that work out. It's not that there's nothing happening, but it's things that work out. Worry didn't help a bit. All worry did was made me miserable. All worry did was 
made it so I couldn't sleep at night. It never makes it better. No worry ever changes the future. No matter how much I worry about it, it's not going to change. But there's actions I can take to change the future. If I'm concerned about something, there's some actions I can take. Like I can exercise for my health, for example, if I'm worried about that or whatever it is. There's actions you can take, but worry doesn't benefit you at all. It's only going to harm you physically. Here's what Jesus said. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough troubles of its own. Jesus himself said, don't worry about tomorrow. Do what you can do today. Focus on what can I do right now rather than focusing on worrying about tomorrow. I think if I'm doing what I'm supposed to do right now, there's probably going to be less things for me to worry about tomorrow because I'm taking care of things now. Here's the insight. In order to relieve stress, live one day at a time. I'm not saying that you don't have a plan for tomorrow, like in your schedule. Okay, on Wednesday, I'm going to go visit so-and-so. I'm not saying that you don't plan ahead, but what I'm saying is you can't live in the future. You've got to live right now. Do what you have to do now. Enjoy life right now. Don't let that appointment with the boss. I've got to talk to the boss, and I'm so stressed out about it. I don't know what he's going to say. How would this affect my job? How is this going to affect my relationship with him? Don't let that ruin your weekend. You'd be so stressed out all weekend long. And there's a 92% chance that it's going to go well. Or you're going to talk and it works out. It ends up being not as big of a deal as what you thought it would be. Don't let it ruin your weekend. So instead, you have fun. You enjoy life. And you deal with that one day at a time, which means on that day. On that day, I'll deal with it. I'm not saying that if you need time to set out to plan for that discussion, you set that time out and you plan for it. You can do that today. Maybe today's the day that you plan for that discussion. But then you set aside and go out and have fun. Enjoy life. Then on that day, you might need to prepare. I believe in preparation and planning. All that is healthy, good, and biblical. What I'm saying is, There's things you don't know what the outcome's going to be, so enjoy today. Have fun. Don't let those things ruin you because we we have this ability to see the bad and expect the bad, and while you're doing that, you can't have happiness now. Step number two, pray about everything. It says pray about everything. In Philippians 4, 6, it says, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. What happens is when God says don't do something, do you notice how how he always fills it in with what to do? Like, for example, if I take something out of my schedule, I've got to replace it with something else. Let's just say that I decided I'm not going to watch TV anymore. And let's say I watch TV one hour a day, so that's seven hours. If I'm not watching TV for seven hours, what am I going to do? You've got to replace it with something, right? I might say, I'm not going to watch TV anymore because I want to read a book. Or... I'm not going to watch TV on Thursday nights anymore. Why? Because now I have a date night with my wife on Thursday nights. But whatever you're doing, when you take something out, you have to put something in, right? Well, that's what God does. He doesn't just say, don't have anxiety, don't worry, don't stress. He goes on to say, but, in Philippians 4, 6, but in everything, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. So what he's saying is, Don't worry, 
But instead, pray. Have you thought about this? If you've ever felt like, I don't have time to pray, just take all the time that you used to worry and apply this verse. Don't worry, but pray. Well, I used to worry. Pray now. Every time you worry, pray. Now all of a sudden you say, wow, I pray a lot more than what I used to because now every time I worry, I pray instead. We always have that choice. Am I going to panic or am I going to pray? Am I going to worry or am I going to worship? But I have that choice. So replace it with something healthy for your life. Instead of worrying about it, I pray about it. And what that does is it gets my anxiety and I'm giving it to God. I give it to God so I won't be so stressed out. I'm giving it to God so that I can enjoy my life. He says, but in everything, you can bring everything to God. God's not just interested in religious things or religious prayers. You know, memorize prayers that you might learn through religion. God's not just interested in those type of things. He's interested in everything about your life. Talk to him about everything. As a friend, you know when you're dating somebody at the beginning, you take them out for a date and you talk. And you want to know everything about them. They want to know everything about you because you're building a relationship. Because you don't know them well yet. So you want to know everything about them. It's kind of like that. God wants to know everything about you. He loves you. It's not that he doesn't know. Obviously he knows. But there's a relationship. You can share with him everything. Don't think like, don't have this type of mindset. Oh, the things that I'm worried about. God has a universe to deal with. Why would he care about me? God has a universe to deal with. Why would he care about this little thing? Well, first of all, he does care about you. That's why he cares about the little things. So if it's a little thing, but you have a concern with it, he has a concern with it. So you pray. Talk to him about it. There's nothing too little for him. He loves you enough that he says, let me know. Lay it on me. And even if it's a little stress, give it to me. Paul uses the word petition. If you read that word in the original language, it's implied in their language. Uh, when you're petitioning, it's specific. It's not vague. See, sometimes we pray vague. God, bless my life. Well, what does that mean? Bless my life. If I'm praying a vague prayer like that, how will I even know if he answered my prayer? Because we know the Bible also talks about when God answers your prayers, you're supposed to thank him. If I never pray a specific prayer, I never know if he answered that prayer, how am I ever going to obey that part of the scripture that says, thank him for when he answers your prayers? But if I'm specific, like, God, how am I going to pay my car payment? Lord, help me. Find a way to come through because you're at, you don't know. You're praying. You're worried about it because it's out of your control at that moment. You don't have what you need. You're praying to God, God, you know, I give this to you. Somehow work this out. And then things work out and you make the car payment. And then you think, because you prayed specifically, you remember, I specifically prayed, God, help me pay my car payment. And then you pay the car payment. And what do you do? You praise God. Lord, thank you. God, thank you. It's done. I had no clue where that money was going to come from. And it worked out. Oh, thanks, God. It's easy to give thanks. It's easy to obey those verses that say, thank God, when he answers your prayers, when you're specific and you're praying. But if I pray a vague prayer, God bless me, first of all, how do you know for sure it's a blessing? 
Some things that look like a blessing aren't. I can prove this one in a, a second. Have you ever met, some, met somebody and you thought, wow, God, this is the one. And you got to know them and it was a nightmare. Almost all of us have gone through that, right? Think about all the women that date at me that went through that. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? There's a lot of times that you feel like, wow, this is the one. You feel like it's a blessing. But as you start at dating the person, getting to know them, you're thinking, no, this is not a blessing. Boy, I'm glad I got out of that one. We've all experienced things like that, that we thought were good, but we, were, we realized, no. Maybe if I prayed specific, like, God, I want a woman with a certain type of attitude, a certain type of personality, you know, certain type of things, and you pray specifically for what type of person. I want somebody that's honest. I want somebody, you know, whatever the things are. But you know what you can live with. And everybody's different. Everybody has a different personality. Everybody's attracted to different things. But you pray specifically for that type of person. And now God brings that type of person to you. You think like, wow, God gave me my dream. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Why wouldn't he? Why wouldn't he? Isn't there a Bible verse that says you have not because you ask not? There's a Bible verse that says that. You have not because you ask not. Maybe I'm just not asking. The more specific you are, the more you can see God at work. Instead of all your friends having that light come on that says, whoa, what is he doing with her? Like bad news. You'd see it yourself because you already prayed what type of person you want. Because you know how that is sometimes? When you're in it, you're blind, but everybody else can see you. I've had those situations where I was with somebody and my closest friends were saying, Jimmy, what are you doing? This isn't a good person for you. But I couldn't see it because I, I was emotionally involved. You know, so those things happen. But if I was praying more specific, I would, like, I know. When you're sober-minded, meaning when you're out of the relationship, when you're sober-minded, it's easy to know what type of person you should wait for and who to say no to and who to say yes to. When you're sober-minded because your emotions aren't involved. But once emotions get involved, too late. You can't see it. You're actually blind to it. If you're married, I'm not talking about your husband or wife. They're the one. <laughs> talking about dating. Once you said, I do, they're the one. So petition, be, be specific in what you're praying about. Look at Philippians 4, 6. It says, when you pray, tell God every detail of your needs. That's in the Phillips translation. Every detail. What does that mean? That means God wants to know the details. Aren't you glad, husbands? Aren't you glad, or men, if you're in a relationship? Okay, you, this is going to make you feel really good. It doesn't say this. When you talk to your husband, tell him every detail of your needs. I'm going to tell you what. Guys aren't good with details. How about this next one? Unload all your worries on your husband since he is looking after you. Guys aren't good with that. They're not. Let me tell you what's up. Women want their emotional needs met, and that's a legitimate need, okay? That's fantastic. God created you that way. But you marry men who, by nature, aren't that emotional. Let me explain what I mean. Men can be best friends hanging out together. I say we like basketball a lot, and we hang out, we talk about basketball, and we're really good friends. We can be best friends and not know one another's kids' names. Would that ever happen with women? Impossible, right? 
That can happen with guys. We can hang out. We can be at work together and work together and hang out together and talk together and go out afterwards, work together and really hang out with each other a lot of times and have a great time and not know one another's wife's name. We'll know that they have a wife and we'll know that they have kids. Best friends. How can guys do that? Because we're different than women. It's, it's different. Guys aren't emotionally connected in the same way. Men bond through activity. Do you understand this, women, that that's why sex is so important to men? Men bond through activity. Now, I'm not saying women don't bond sexually. They do as well. Everybody does. But what I'm trying to say is when you look at how men and women are different, men bond more sexually first. Women bond more emotionally first. Then the emotions will come from the men. The bonding happens both ways, but we're different. This is one of the reasons I don't believe in sex outside of marriage. Here's why. I find if there's no sex before marriage, it forces a man and woman to bond emotionally and really get to know each other. Okay, and really get to know each other. Then when the sex comes, they already are committed. But it's too easy as a man, and I'm a pastor, but I'm telling you as a man, it's too easy as a man to give in to the sexual desire before you really, really know that person. Okay? And then later on as you get to know them, you don't really love them. And then you want out. And you're thinking, how can I get out of this commitment? Because we never connect at first emotionally. So when the Bible says don't have sex before marriage, that's why I think it says that. Because it knows that you first have to know that person, be emotionally connected, have a real relationship with them apart from sex to really see it clear-mindedly. Is this best for my future? Then if sex comes afterwards, it's in its proper place, but it's after a commitment. It's not casual. It's not misunderstood where one person is connected 100% emotionally first and says, I love him, and then he wants out. Or he keeps stalling on marriage because he's not sure. Because he's connected physically, but he's, he knows he's not really connected emotionally yet. So he wants to stall because he doesn't want to make a mistake. If the sex wasn't part of it, and he fully connected with her emotionally, he would have already known before it got that far, and they would have already broken up. And it would be a good thing for that woman that was emotionally connected before it got so deep, and now she's hanging on to a guy that's not committed. He might not be cheating, but he's not committed. He's not willing to say, I'm yours 100%. So I believe that that's why the Bible teaches these things. I'm not trying to condemn anybody that did a different route. I'm just telling you, there's a reason when the Bible says things that there's a really a psychological reason behind these things because men and women are different. So you want to be able to connect emotionally first. Now, here's what happens. Even though you can connect emotionally with a man, a woman can with a man, it's never going to be enough. He'll never be good enough. Never. Never. And this is why all of us, but women need to hear this, but all of us need to do this, unload all your worries on him. Not on him, the husband. Unload all your worries on him since he is looking after you. Because no man on this earth is going to be able to meet your emotional needs. They'll never be good enough. Have you ever thought, Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden, right? They're in the perfect paradise. Nothing could be better. All their needs are met. And though every single need was met perfectly, Eve took that apple it doesn't say apple, it says fruit. But in the story, whether you take it as a literal, literal story or whether you take it as 
a message that God put for us. I don't care about that right now, but, but the story goes like this. Everything's perfect, but she takes a fruit that God says not to eat because even though everything was perfect, it just wasn't good enough. And then he follows her. So what I'm trying to say is everything in the world, it's never going to be good enough. If Adam and Eve couldn't be happy in paradise, they can't be happy anywhere. So if you're thinking somehow on this earth you're going to find something that's really going to make you happy, you're looking for the wrong thing. It's never going to happen. No man's going to meet your needs and no woman's going to meet your needs completely. So we have to change our view. I'm not in this marriage for her to meet my needs. I'm in the marriage for me to meet her needs. But she has to have the same attitude. I'm not in the marriage for you to meet my needs. I'm in the uh, marriage to meet your needs. So if I'm not in the marriage for her to meet my needs, I'm going to look at God to meet my needs. So I'm going to say, unload all my worries on him. When I pray to God, I can pray every detail. I'm going to, God, I'm relying on you to meet my needs, to make me feel filled up so I can pour love into my wife. She's saying, I'm relying on you to meet my needs so I can pour love into my husband. If you think like that, you're thinking down the right road. But your husband or your wife can never do it. No one's good enough. They'll never be good enough. You can love your husband and wife with all your heart. You can't expect them to meet your needs. They will meet some of your needs, but you can't expect them to meet your core needs. Only God's big enough to do that. A lot of marriages have problems because they go in expecting something that's impossible. No one's good enough to do that. It's guaranteed failure. I can't do it. But I can love her with all my heart as best as I know how. But I can't expect her to meet my needs, and she can't expect me to meet hers. A life insurance company did a study. They learned that people who attend church live an average of 5.7 years longer than people that don't, on average. I think part of the reason is worry, stress, anxiety. Because let's say I don't have any faith in God, and I'm worried and I'm stressed out about something. Okay? I have no hope. I don't believe in a power greater than me to handle it. So I'm thinking, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? So I could go a whole week stressed, stressed, stressed. While the person that has faith in God is in the same situation, and they say, God, I don't know what to do. You've got to take this one. And you know what they do? I'm going to enjoy life. That's what it is. Oh, what am I going to do about this? You know what, God? I don't know how we're going to handle this. You take it. I'm going to enjoy life. You cannot do that without faith. You can't enjoy life without faith. Because what's going to happen is that the worry, the stress, is going to take you over. You won't be able to get it off your mind. If you believe in a power greater than yourself that will handle it, God, you have to handle this one. You know why I know God can take care of the details of my life? Have you ever seen the details of fingerprints? And everybody has different ones. The details of a snowflake, and every snowflake is different. The details of a voice, you know, they do those pictures of how your voice is. They're all different, but very detailed. God's a God of details. He can handle my problems. If God can make a billion stars, he can certainly handle my details. If God can make a billion stars or six billion stars, he can certainly handle six billion people. He can. 
and I can't make one star, and I can't handle anybody. That's why if someone's in a relationship with me, I cannot meet their core needs. Impossible. Never, never will happen. I can love her. I can do my best, but it will never be good enough. That's why we need God. We need God to fill in that gap. It gets my wife off the hook because now I'm not relying on her, so I'm not angry at her for not meeting my needs. It gets her off the hook. You know what that does? That allows her to love me because she loves me, not pressured by this or that. It actually makes love flow more free because you don't feel that pressure. I think it's healthier in every way. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, you can throw the whole weight of your anxiety upon him, not your husband or wife, for you are his personal concern. His personal concern. God is saying, I'm personally concerned about you. Take your anxiety to me. Here's the insight. There's no problem that's too big for God's power or too small for God's concern. You might think it's too small. It's not too small for God. You might think it's too big. Nothing's too big for God. James 4.2 says, you have not because you ask not. In the New Testament, it says this over 20 times. So ask, pray, pray, pray. Pray about the things that you're worried about. Pray and give it to God. Trust him. You have not because you ask not. In step three, the third thing that Paul says, if you're going to relieve stress, is thank God for all things. Thank God for all things. Thank him. In Philippians 4, 6, it says, in everything with thanksgiving. In the Good News Version, it says, always asking him with a thankful heart. It's about having an attitude of gratitude. Attitude of gratitude. I should probably reword that when I was doing my sermon. It says, thank God for all things. Really, biblically, it's thank God in all things. You can cross out that word for and put in the word in because really, in the Bible, it doesn't really teach you to thank God for all things. Like, my aunt died today. Oh, thank God. You know, you might not want to say that, right? You don't thank God for everything, but you can thank God in everything. You can thank God like, oh, yeah, she lived a long life. She did a lot of great things. In the circumstances, you can thank God, but you're not happy for the circumstance. Like, oh, I got my doctor's appointment. I'm going to be on crutches for eight weeks instead of four. Oh, I'm so thankful to God. Well, maybe if you don't want to go to work for eight weeks, maybe you are. But you're probably not thankful for the circumstance. But you can be thankful in the circumstance. You can say, oh, but I thank God it was only my knee. Because sometimes it could have been something worse. So in everything, give thanks. In everything. Nothing's going to always satisfy everything about you but you can find something to be thankful for in anything. We don't want to be when and then people. When this happens, then I'll be happy. When this happens, then life's going to be good. No, I want to enjoy life now, and I can thank God now for something. If you're depressed, maybe write down a list of all the things you're thankful for, and maybe put it on your wall or on your mirror and force yourself to say those things every day to get you out of depression. I'm thankful for this. I'm thankful for my wife. I'm thankful for my kids. Maybe name all of them. I'm thankful that I have a job. God, I thank you that I'm able to coach my son. That's why I went into coaching is to coach my son and to get him into a good high school. I'm thankful that our needs are met. You know, like financially, we're paying our bills. Whatever you can come up with, 
The same over and over and over and over until you're thankful. Because there are things to be thankful for. And if I choose to neglect focusing on those, I'll be depressed. Because it's easy for me to have a list of things I'm not happy about. Having an attitude of gratitude is one of the healthiest things physically that you can do. In 1 Thessalonians 5, it says, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So no matter what the circumstance is, you're giving thanks in the circumstance. Here's the insight. There's always something to be grateful for. Something. There's always something. There's always a bright side to everything. Well, at least I'm still alive. That could be a bright side. So I have to find a way to be thankful. And it's hard sometimes. Step number four to enjoy life, think about the right things. I have to think about the right things. I have to choose to focus on the right things. If I focus on that problem, I'm going to be stressed. I've got to force my mind to focus on something good, something that's going to help my life, something that's going to reduce the stress. Because stress has less to do with my circumstances. It's more to do with me. You know, your mind is a gift from God. Your mind is capable of storing, you know, thousands and thousands of memories. Your mind can handle enormous things, and your mind has the ability to choose what you want to focus on. You have the ability to choose what you want to focus on. I can choose to focus on what is that doctor report going to say and worry, 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 worry the whole week while we're waiting. Or I can choose to focus on God and say, God is in your hands. I'm trusting you and enjoy life. But it's still a choice. I have to choose not to worry. I have to choose to focus on the right thing. Look at Philippians 4, 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, and admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. That means I can choose what I think about. I don't have to think of the negative things. That's negative. That's taking me down. Let me think of something noble or right or pure or lovely or admirable or excellent or praiseworthy. Let me think about that type of thing. It's up to me. I can focus on the negative, and I'm going to feel negative. And when I'm feeling negative, you know what's going to happen? I'm going to act negative. And when I act negative, I'm going to be miserable. Or I can choose to focus on the positive. And when I focus on that, I'm going to feel positive. And when I'm feeling positive, I'm going to act positive. And my life's going to be better. But I have to choose what I put my mind on. Sometimes we allow too much stuff into our minds. Sometimes there's garbage that we listen to or watch or whatever. And we have to get that out of our minds. It's influencing us. People say, oh, I watch that. I listen to that. It doesn't influence me at all. Well, let me give you an example on my own life. I'm someone, everybody that knows me, I'm someone that I don't, I don't use profanity. I'm not trying to put guilt on anybody that does. I'm just telling you, I don't use profanity. I don't want that in my life. So I was once working in a truck company. We were loading trucks all the time. And all my coworkers, I mean, it seems like the F word came out of their mouth every other word. And just the language like that all the time. And that's not who I am. That's how people talk. That's fine. That has nothing to do with me. When you're in that, and you're not used to it because my family didn't use profanity either. So it wasn't something I grew up in in my house as well. And the type of people I hang out with really don't use profanity. It's not that I'm saying they use profanity. I don't hang out with them. They don't use profanity. Maybe it's because I'm a pastor, so they just don't use it around me. But I'm just saying, it's not something that's, 
around me that much. But this was before when I was um, in college. What I found out is when you're in that environment, when you dream about work, that's how they talk to my dreams. It was affecting my subconscious. I've never dreamed dreams where when the person I'm talking to used this profanity, but I did during that time. You hear the way they say things over and over. It's like a baby learning how to talk. Subconsciously, they just say what they're hearing over and over. And there were times that, well, what did I just say? And really, it just came out without me thinking. Because I was relaxed, talking, you hear it over and over. And I thought, I don't even talk this way. Don't tell me it doesn't get in there. It does. It gets into your subconscious. So it just kind of like comes out even when you don't want it to. I wasn't even thinking about it, but it just came out. So I've learned things that you watch, things that you hear, they do affect you. They're getting in there. This message isn't about profanity. That's not the point. But what I'm trying to say is things affect your mind. If you're worrying... Don't think it doesn't affect you. What you put your mind to is getting in deep, deeper than what you think. And it's going to stress you out and cause more anxiety and more bad health than what you can imagine. And on the same thing, don't think positive thinking isn't going to be good for you. It is good for you. It is good for you. The alternative is negative thinking, right? So you think those positive thoughts. You get your mind there. It affects the way you feel. And it goes in deeper than what you imagine. And then later on, it becomes even a habit to think positively. Just like it can be a habit to think in a negative way. Just like language. It can become a habit. You know, it gets in. So you do want to guard your mind. You want to think what your values are. What type of stuff do I want to allow in my mind? And if it's something that's going to make you degrade women, for example, get that out. Think about this. In our society, especially with um, all the media that you hear, let's say you have a, a negative experience with someone from the, uh, another race, okay? And then you just start a little bit feeling bad about people of that race. You know what you're slowly becoming? A racist, right? To be a racist, you just have to have a little bit going that way, and then now you're a little bit of a racist, you can be a big racist or a little, but you know what I'm saying? It's still racism. So you say, well, I me allow, oh, it's just, I'm just, I just allow that in a little bit. It affects you. So you want to say, well, that's negative thinking. You want to think positive. You might still have something against that individual. Maybe the individual did, but it's an individual. And it's easy for these things to creep in. That's why people have some racism in them and they don't even know it. They don't even know it because they have a little bit of that type of thinking toward a certain culture or a certain ethnicity, and it's racism, right? You don't have to have a lot, just a little bit. I'd say probably, probably everybody's guilty of that, right? You know, everybody could probably say, well, I, I'm guilty of some racism because I'm sure I've had a little bit of it in my life. But that's why it's so important for you to control your mind and get that negative out and forget the positive in. How about gender things? All men are dogs. You know what I mean? Same thing, right? It affects your view of men. That's the next thing. You've got to get that out. Because maybe you're single and you think all men are dogs, but I think I'm a, a good guy. I think I'm a good guy. 
but I would never date a girl that thinks that all men are dogs because I think I'm a good guy. Probably the type of guy they want to marry, they're chasing away with that attitude. Because what good guy wants to marry someone that thinks he's a dog? So I'd rather think positive. Maybe that guy was a dog, but not all men. Maybe she was bad, but not all women. So it's, it can go in all different types of areas. Here's what Philippians 4 8 says. Fill your mind with those things which are right, pure, noble, lovely, admirable, excellent, praiseworthy. In Philippians, it words it like this. Fix your mind on them. Fix your mind on what's noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, praiseworthy. I want to guard my mind. Keep the garbage out. Get my mind on the right things. And then I'm a better person. Better friend. Better in every single way. Look at Proverbs 23, 7. As a man thinks in his heart, so he is. Wow. What a man thinks in his heart, so he is. Who am I on the inside? You know who you are on the outside? Whoever, whatever you are on the inside. Even if you're good at covering it up on the outside. As a man thinks in his heart, so he is. Here's the insight. Whatever I think about is what I'm becoming. I don't want to become a racist, so I can't think those ways. I don't want to become you know, someone negative toward women. So I can't think that way. Whatever the thing is, I don't want to be negative against Muslims. Now, I can say, I believe the holy jihad is a sin. You know, it's, it's a sin to kill people for God. You can state a fact and say, I believe that's a sin. But you don't want to hate Muslims. You don't want to have a hatred to, toward somebody like that. You want to love them and hopefully show them the light if they believe something that you know is bad. But... Hate is never going to be a good thing. Other than maybe uh, hating evil, maybe hating like sin. You hate the fact that someone would harm an innocent child. Okay? But just hating people groups and stuff like that. No. There's nothing good about that. Here's the result. Philippians 4, 7. If you do this, you will experience God's peace, which is far more wonderful than the human mind can understand. Because the human mind sees the worry and cannot have peace. Can't do it. But the person that has faith in God can see the thing to worry about and give it to God and experience God's peace. It's impossible to do without faith in God. It says his peace will keep your thoughts and your heart quieter and at rest as you trust in Christ Jesus. So what happens is I've got these things to worry about I'm concerned about them. I'm worrying about them. They're causing anxiety. So I trust in Jesus, and now my heart's quiet and at rest. Whew, I'm at rest now. Why? Because I'm not worried about it anymore because I'm trusting Jesus. The evidence that you trust Jesus is that your heart's at rest. If your heart's not at rest, it's because you really don't trust him. You really don't think he's going to take care of it. So you're worried, worried, worried. But you say, God, I'm trusting you to take care of it. Your worry goes. But it's a choice. You can choose to do that or you can choose not to. One person lives a stress-free, happy life. The other one lives a stressful, miserable life. I want that peace of mind. How do you maintain that kind of peace? He said, as you trust in Christ Jesus. I believe that we all have like a void in our life that only God can fill. And I can try to fill it with popularity, but it's, I'm not going to really be happy Power, these things might make you happy in the moment. 
pleasure, possessions, prestige, but they're not going to fill that emptiness that I have in my heart. Only God can fill it. Only God fits in that hole. So I want him to be in the center of my life, and I do that by trusting him. I put my faith in him. I rely on him. I allow him to have control of my heart. In this passage, he says, his peace will keep your thoughts. That word keep, it's a Greek military word. Let me explain a little bit because it's a word that's odd to use in this sentence. Why would Paul use this word for keep? Now, he's writing to the Philippians, uh, the church in Philippi. Philippi is a city where part of the Roman legion were. And the Roman legion there were there to guard or to keep the city. It's a word that means like that, but it means to keep the city, meaning to guard it. And he specifically used a word that you wouldn't usually use in their language. But he uses it when he's writing to them. Because to them it's very relevant. Because when they use that word keep, they're reading like, oh, so in the same way that the Roman legion keeps us, meaning guards us, is protects us, is taking care of us, that's what God's going to do in my heart when I trust in Jesus. It says he's going to, just like the military is protecting them, he used the word that says his peace, God's peace, is going to keep your thoughts. That means he's going to protect my mind like a military protects the city. I thought that was interesting that he would use that odd word that's not usually used in that way, but it made total sense when you find out who he's writing to. And he's telling us something stronger than he's keeping you. God wants to guard your thoughts. He says, I'll protect you. Trust in me. I will protect your mind. I will protect your heart. Trust in me. That's what he wants to do. What are you worried about? Finances, the economy, your health, your marriage, your kids, your job. There's a lot of things that can make you anxious. But there is an alternative. You don't have to be stressed out about everything in life. You can choose to trust God. Remember what it says in 1 Peter 5, 7? Throw the whole weight of your concern on God. All of it. Because he considers you his personal concern. He says, I'm personally concerned about you. Whatever you're worried about, throw it on me. Throw it on me. The things I can handle, I do. Okay, oh, this is something I need to do. Go do it. The things that are out of your control, throw it on him. Oh, God, I'm worried I don't have a job. The things I can handle, look for a job. The concern of, am I going to get one? Am I going to get one? You don't know, right? Throw that on him. God, I can't control that. That's on you, God. You take care of that. I'm going to enjoy life, and I'm going to look for a job. This is never an excuse not to do your part. It's doing your part stress-free instead of feeling miserable throughout the process, which means you can be at our job and you can enjoy the whole time. Not hanging out at the beach, but looking for a job, trusting that God's going to work it out. He'll probably get me something better. And a lot of times that is what happens. Let's pray. Dear Lord, during this holiday season, there can be so much extra stress. And Lord, we want to lift that to you. And not just during this season, but throughout the year. Lord, we're committing ourselves to not worry about things, but to pray about everything instead, knowing that you can handle it. And we're choosing to be thankful to you and to think about the right things. Lord, instead of our minds being so focused on something negative, we're choosing to focus on the positive and believe that you can work things out. We want to enjoy life. We know that 92% of the time that we think these negative thoughts, it ends up being nothing and it just hurts us. And Lord, on that 8%, 
where it really is something, we will deal with that. But in the meanwhile, Lord, we're going to trust you and we're going to enjoy life. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.